So thank you for those words of appreciation, Don and um, Church. I, I feel appreciated and uh, I feel like God has really blessed me in bringing me to this congregation. I know it's, it's now starting my third year, but I, I still am convinced that the Lord has led me here. And I appreciate the partnership in the gospel that I have with you all. I believe God has this church here to hold out the word of life to people in this community, to, to somehow find a way to, to make the good news known amongst our neighbors and our friends. And so thank you for, for being with me in this. And I await to see what God will, will do as we continue to, to serve him here in our midst. This morning, and really this, this series, we have been talking about the, the Bible, the, the, the overview of the, the big story. And I, I'm trying to get a sense for what is the Bible about so that if, if you're unfamiliar with it, you can kind of start to learn it for yourself and read it. And so the few weeks back, uh, Kyle did the children's message, and that was so fun today. I, I, maybe we'll just let Annie take over one Sunday and uh, see what she has to say. But uh, Kyle talked about the Bible is a tool, and I think that was a, a good thought. That was his main focus of his message. But I've been thinking more about that. What kind of tool is the Bible? And I would suggest um, it's not just a simple hammer or screwdriver. So I, I, I called up Josh, and uh, said, I need a Swiss Army knife. He says, I don't have a Swiss Army knife. Um, but basically, he, he instead had this. And so a Swiss Army knife, that's kind of like a Kleenex, right? If you ask for a Kleenex, if someone gives you puffs, it's all the same. You know, Swiss Army knife, I guess this is a multi-tool with all the different levels. I'm kind of seeing what, what he all has in here. Lots of different kinds of tools can I suggest that the Bible is more like this kind of tool? It, it has different genres of, of books that hit at different purposes, that communicate God's truth in different ways. And so we've gone through a couple of those. A few weeks back, we talked about the law of God and the, the, the laws in Exodus and Leviticus and such. We've been going over the history and the history of Israel, that was last week, focusing on, on those kind of books. Coming up next week, we're going to focus on the prophets and the words of the prophets. But today, I want to look at a genre, a type of Bible book that is often overlooked, and that is the wisdom literature in the Bible. There are five books that are considered part of the wisdom literature. Job, Psalms, Prophet, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. So we do a lot with Psalms because Psalms talks about worship, but, but some of the others of these books are less often referred to. And what I want to do, the, the wisdom literature are things that don't fit into these other categories of law and prophets and such history. They teach principles about life, about the world that God has made. If God is the creator of life, if he made this world, he knows how it should be formed and how it can be lived. And so we can gain insights into God. We can gain insights into the human condition. 
it, it talks about how to think about the struggles of living in a world that's broken because of sin. Um, a lot of these books are more philosophical in nature. The, the truth of God is approached differently than maybe some of these other Bible books. They're grouped together. You'll find them early on in the Old Testament. You know, all these five are, are together. together. I want to say a little bit about each one, and then we're going to zero in on our main passage from Proverbs 9. But the overall truth of God's Word throughout the whole Bible, but especially in this wisdom literature, is God offers wisdom for the simple. For those who are willing to heed God's wisdom. Those who want it. God is not hiding his truth from us. He's offering it. And no matter where you're at in your ability to, you know, whether you're simple or wise, this, this wisdom is available. And the movie that, that came to mind for this, and I think that this is one of the most profound movies of, of my lifetime, is Forrest Gump. Maybe you've seen it. Uh, it is, Forrest is is to put another word, simple. Uh, in today's terminology, you would say he had a learning disability. And yet in this movie, Forrest Gump gains wisdom, likely mostly from his mother, but he seems to pick up wisdom as he goes through life. And even though he's not a smart man, as he would say, he ends up making good decisions and and does what's right in the different situations in which he's, he's placed. And then... It's combined with a whole bunch of coincidences so that Forrest ends up appearing in every major event of history in the 60s and 70s and 80s. And that, that's kind of the fun part of the movie is that you go through, if you, if you want to learn history from the 50s to the 90s, it's worth watching just for that. But the contrast for Forrest is his childhood friend Jenny, who, who he dearly loves. And Jenny, they meet on the bus ride to school and they keep encountering each other in life. Jenny is almost the opposite. She's smart, but she keeps making the foolish decisions with her life. She is led in her life by every fad and, and wrong thing that, that, and gets sucked into things in life that just lead her to, to struggle and lead her to a lot of pain, and she does not live well. And, and so you have that contrast of the simple man who found wisdom and the, the woman of the world who, who lives unwisely. That's, I think, what the Bible, the picture of what we're going to look at when we think the Bible offers this kind of wisdom. So let me run down each of the five books real quick and just give you a sense of them, and then we'll lock into to Proverbs 9. So Psalms, we've already had several Psalms today. We, we started with Psalms are the book of worship, songs of worship. And they're also prayers. Psalms can teach you to pray. Pray. When I came to this church, the first series I did actually was on Psalms. And I talked about how you have Psalms of, of joy and happiness and praise. But you have to have some Psalms where people are pouring out their hearts and talking about, God, why are you letting this happen? Wherever you're at, wherever you're struggling with, there's likely a psalm that can help you resonate and pray that feeling, your honest feelings to God. So I'd encourage you to learn the psalms, get to know them. Um, but the other aspect of psalms is that they talk about worship. We come into his presence with singing. We make joyful no noises. We, we know about God. And, 
See, the key to worship is this. We spend our week thinking about ourselves, our problems, strategizing how to succeed in life. In worship, we set all of that aside. We set aside our to-do list. We leave behind our phones. And we come and we give our full attention and thought to another. But the thing is, there's only one worthy of that attention, worthy of our worship. And so we give that fully to God. And I think a life where we, we do that, where we spend this regular time, is, is part of building a life that's built on wisdom. And so that's the essence of wisdom, and that's the essence of worship. The second book is Job. Job is a philosophical exploration about how to understand and face suffering. How can we reconcile a good and loving God and yet live in a world full of grief? It's a story about a man who loses his children, his wealth and possessions, and then even his health. And he has to decide how will he respond to that. And the screen gives you the response when he finds out his, his children have died. He says, then Job arose and said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. How will we respond living in this world? Now, the rest of Job is conversations, thinking that through. How, how does it work that there's so much suffering? How does it work that the, the world is so unfair at times, where the wicked prosper and the good people seem to suffer so much? After Job is Ecclesiastes, and this is almost the opposite. Instead of someone who experiences suffering, Ecclesiastes is a reflection on trying to understand the meaning and purpose in life, but it's from someone who has succeeded, who, who, who got wealthy and had everything that this world could offer. Have you ever heard that phrase, the one with the most toys in the end wins? You used to see that in a bumper sticker. Ecclesiastes asks, are you sure about that? Right. Is that really the, the measure of winning? Uh, the verse I have on the screen, Ecclesiastes 5, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. You know, what should we live for in this world? What should we build our life around? Is it money, knowledge, luxuries, comforts? And, and Ecclesiastes explores all those different options. But the key word it keeps coming up with is vanity which I, I don't think we use that word very much in our culture. And a better description would be is a mere breath. It's all a vapor, all a nothingness. All these things that you could live for will leave you empty in the end. And Ecclesiastes ends with, with after seeking out all these things, what do you do? You fear God and you keep his word. That's the way to live life. The next one is Song of Solomon, though I actually prefer the title Song of Songs. Different people offer either of those titles. It begins with a Song of Songs by Solomon. And this is, this is an interesting book. 
It's a collection of love poetry. And it expresses the joy of physical romantic attraction. So the, in the book, it's there's a male voice and a female voice that goes back and forth. It's an engaged couple who are getting ready for marriage. And I, I, I watched the Bible Project. If you ever want to know more about a book of the Bible, I, I'd, I'd highly recommend the Bible Project. They give you these like six-minute videos that describe it. So it, it says two themes. One is intense desire for each other. There's a seeking and finding. That's what you see in the book. Like they're seeking each other, they're finding. And then the second theme is the joy of physical attraction. So some people are thrown off by Song of Songs because it, it doesn't seem very spiritual. In fact, it, it, it's kind of about sex, right? It, it's, it's like, what? what are they talking about? And so, so some kind of Bible scholars have said, no, it, this is just an allegory. It's not really about sex. It's actually about Christ and the church, and it's all allegorical. And there may be some allegorical elements, but I, I actually have never been convinced by that. I, I think God chose to include in his holy word a book about romantic physical attraction. You know why? Because he created sex. You know, he, he made it. He made merit. Now he made it with certain boundaries that our culture has said we don't want those boundaries. But God made sex. And, and the joy of physical attraction is, is part of creation. So I think it's okay that God put this book in there. And it's his book. He's allowed. So Song of Songs. Read it if you dare. Um, I, I did put one verse on there. And I'll, I, I'm just, the, the verse 6 is often read in weddings, it says, place, a, a, place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death. Very rarely do they read the rest of that verse, but it says, it's jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like a blazing fire, like a mighty flame. You know, they sort of skip that part at weddings. Um, but the key wisdom is actually right before it, I, I think is interesting. Oh, daughters of Jerusalem, I adjure you, do not arouse or awaken love until the time is right. Love is strong. It is powerful, especially romantic attraction. Don't wake that up until the time is right. So, fifth is Proverbs. Proverbs is, so, there's some extended passages in Proverbs, but a big chunk of it are these discrete, short, insightful statements. In fact, the main part of it, sometimes it's good to just read like a little, a few proverbs each day. If you want to read this book, don't try to read a whole chapter. It's better actually just go three or four. Find, read until you find one that really sticks out to you as the best way to read proverbs. But here's, here's a good one. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. There are all kinds of sayings like that that you just think about. Yeah, I've seen that happen. I've seen that go that way. Um, but also there are a few places where there are extended passages and it celebrates wisdom in general, learning God's ways. And so that's what I want to zero in on from Proverbs 9. It, it's a, ask the question, 
what are you going to build your life on? And it, it focuses on an image between wisdom and folly, but it, it does it in an interesting way. It personifies. In other words, it makes into persons wisdom and folly. And so you have lady wisdom and lady folly, and they're both calling out, inviting people to hear what they have to say. So it begins with wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. The pillars represent solidness. Wisdom's house is built solid. It's trustworthy. And it's talking, it's talking about building a house. It's talking about making long-term life choices. It's not about quick, quick wisdom, quick, quick ideas, get rich, quick things. It's, it's about how do, you, how do you build a long-term direction for your life. Going on, it, it talks about how wisdom is offering a banquet. It says she's slaughtered her beasts, which means she's getting meat ready. She's, she's got wine ready. She's setting the table. So she's offering a banquet. There'll be uh, meat and wine and bread, and, and the, it, it's all set. It's, it's good stuff that people can come and receive from it. So wisdom has prepared this banquet. And if you heed what wisdom has, it will bring good to your life. And then wisdom sends out the invitation. It says she sent out her young women who call from the highest places in town saying, hey, there's a banquet over there. You know, they're inviting people. It's like putting up billboards or Facebook ads, right? The invitation has gone out. This wisdom is not just for the, the special few. It's open to those who are willing to heed its call. So the call has gone out. Come, eat my bread and drink the wine I have mixed. And then wisdom's message is walk in the way of insight. So leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. So the image is a banquet, but it's talking about how you live your life. To come and eat is to make a life choice. Live and walk in this way. Jesus used a very similar uh, illustration in one of his parables. The parable of the wedding banquet. Where, you know, to, to come and, and be part of the kingdom of God was like coming to a wedding banquet. And the invitation in his parable goes out. Goes out to the poor and the blind and the lame. It goes out to the country roads. It, the invitation is sent out as far as it could possibly send out because God wants to fill his house. He wants everyone who wants to to have the chance to come in. The only ones who don't get to taste the banquet are those who don't feel the need to come. Those whose life is such that say, I don't need that. I have my own direction. That's both the parable of Jesus, but also what's happening with this banquet for wisdom. Verse 7 switches gears. And so it says, whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. You know what I've noticed? Is when someone makes a mistake and, and or does something foolish, you know, they really appreciate it when you go up and tell them about the mistake and point it out. And, and give them advice about how they could do better next time. People just love that. You think that's true? 
Proverbs doesn't. A scoffer is someone who doesn't want to be corrected. You know, when they're pointed out to something that they have done wrong or could do better, they will in turn lash out at the one giving the correction. Do not reprove a scoffer. They will hate you. You may be right about what's going on in their life, but it doesn't matter. But a wise man is glad to receive correction. Someone who has, he's willing to listen to criticism. And maybe a wise man doesn't take everything to heart because not all criticism is valid. It might be self-focused or have wrong stuff in it. But a wise man will listen and discern what he can learn from it. Which one of those fits you better? Are you a scoffer that chafes at criticism, at people suggesting you could do something a little bit better? Or are you a wise man or woman who is willing to listen and hear what people have to say? Do you get defensive when someone criticizes your work or your words? Do you have to make sure they hear what you have to say, that you get the last word, that you win the argument? Or can you just listen? And take in what they say, give thought to their words, and, and deal with it appropriately. The New Testament doesn't have any books of wisdom per se, though I think James, the book of James fits as the, probably the book of wisdom in the New Testament. And it's where it says we should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. That is the path to God's wisdom. Verse 10 talk about the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You see, we need correction, but not just from people. We need correction from the Lord of the universe, the one who knows what is good and right for our life. Um, the fear of the Lord strikes our modern ears wrong, right? What do you mean? I should be afraid of God? If God is good, why should I fear him? That's not what it means. It does not mean to be afraid of God. But it means you want to honor God and honor his word above all else. You're more afraid of going against God than you are afraid of other people, other things. To fear the Lord means um, if you have to choose between doing what this, this person says versus what God says, if you fear the Lord, you'll do what God says. So often... What keeps us from doing what God says? We're actually more afraid of other people. We're afraid of looking stupid. We're afraid of what they, what they will say. And to, to fear the Lord is to, willing, to be willing to be corrected by him. You see, man's correction is, could be wrong, right? But God's correction will lead us to life. So the beginning of knowing God, the beginning of wisdom is to recognize you do not have life figured out, right? I, I don't have it all figured out. I still mess up. Um, if, you're, if you have got it figured out, if your life is set, you're going to ignore the invitation to the banquet, right? I don't need anyone to tell me how to live. I, I know what I'm doing. Think about when Jesus came, who was it that opposed and argued with him all the time? Those in power? Those whose lives were under control, the religious leaders, they, they seemed to feel like they were doing just fine. 
Who is willing to listen to Jesus? The poor, the hurting, the ones who knew they had messed up, the ones who felt left out and marginalized. They are the ones who sought out Jesus, who chased after him wherever he went. No wonder Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Those are the ones who are going to find their way into the kingdom. Because those are the ones who are willing to listen. That don't think they have it all figured out. Lady wisdom is not the only voice out there. There's another one. Lady folly. I love this description. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive, and she knows nothing. How many TV commentators would that describe? How many politicians would that describe? How many preachers would that describe? Right? Loud, seductive, and knows nothing. The voices of this world offer the alternative to listening to God and seeking Him. And there's a million foolish things. They can, they can offer you every day. No matter how foolish something is, there's some voice out there telling you to do it. Someone trying to sell it to you. Um, those options are calling out to those who pass by. You know, you're, you're trying to live your life. You're trying to, you know, make sense of things. There, there, there's, there's voices that are going to try to pull you off one way or the other. And um, because I grew up watching Disney, I immediately thought of... of an image for that, of that being distracted in the, the Pinocchio movie, the old one. Pinocchio is supposed to be heading to school, but every time he goes, he keeps getting called into something else, something foolish. He ends up going to Pleasure Island instead of going to where he should go. Know what he turns into? Anyone know? A donkey, right. So I'm not the only one who grew up watching Disney cartoons, right? So you know, right, it, it's a picture of foolishness, the simple being, being uh, she, it says, uh, Lady Folly, she sits at the door of her house, she takes a seat on the highest places of town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way, She's, she says, whoever is simple, let him turn in here, and to him who lacks sense, she says, um, so she's inviting the simple to come and follow what she has to say, and then what's her alternative? She says, stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Instead of the free banquet, right, she's inviting you to the stolen waters, to things you shouldn't have, things that are not by rights yours, where wisdom is free for the taking. Uh, Lady Folly says, you just take what you want. It's offering quick, quick riches and easy fixes. Spend now. Borrow, worry later. Go with the guys to the strip club. Don't worry how it will affect your marriage. Undercut your fellow employees so you can get ahead. It's worth it if you move up the ladder. All these, these quick and easy things that seem good. Can Think for a minute. Just what, what wrong advice? Have you heard out there, propagated in entertainment or whatever, that, that you know if people took that, that's a, that's a fool's route? Can you think of advice that you see out in the, 
the interweb or in popular media, that's lady folly in action. And she is calling out and inviting the simple to go her way. Where does her path lead? It says, he, the one who says yes to it, does not know that the dead are there. At, at Lady Folly's house are the dead. And that her guests are in the depth of Sheol. Sheol is the Hebrew word for the grave. The, the nothingness of death, the place of the dead. And that idea that those who go into this house, that, that's, that's um, the place of the dead. Does this call to mind any 1970s rock songs for anyone? I was thinking of a different one. How about Welcome to the Hotel California? Such a lovely place. And when you check in, the, the, the song ends with, last thing I remember, I was running for the door. I had to find the passage back to the place I was before. Relax, said the night man. We are programmed to receive. You can check out any time you like, but you can never leave. Right, that's where Lady Folly leads. You can check out any time you like, but you can't leave. Proverbs 14.12 says the same thing. There's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. That's a good one to know. Proverbs 14, 12. Write, write that down if you're taking notes. There's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. So the big question Proverbs is going to throw in your face. Will you live by the wisdom of this world, or will you seek the wisdom of God? Will you heed the call of Lady Wisdom or Lady Folly? Back to that, that key verse in verse 10. And this is a verse that gets quoted in other places in the Bible. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What does it take to wake someone up? I, I can bet you know people you think are taking the path of folly. That are making bad choices. And you think, what does it take to wake someone up to see their need for the wisdom of Christ. And that, it's that perpetual question we as believers are, are thinking about. Um, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It, it's, it's the start. I, I think about how be, before Jesus came, God sent John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was, he, he kind of had that prophet mentality. And he came with the simple message, you better get ready. He's come. He he was sent by God to wake people up to their need for, for a different path. So before God sent his son with the message of life, he sent the one to try to wake people up to their need. John's message was repent, get ready. The kingdom of God is around the corner. He's coming. Take stock of your life so that you're ready when you see it. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of the wisdom, right? It's the starting point. You take stock of your life, and then this next part, and the knowledge of the Holy One is in sight. The fear leads you to true wisdom, and that is the Son of God. Jesus was wisdom incarnate. He shows us what wisdom is like. 
the, the Lord God knew we would have trouble with just abstract ideas. So he did the unthinkable. The, the Holy One of God himself became a man and walked in our midst. Do you want to see what wisdom looks like? We're shown what wisdom looks like in the life of Jesus. And he, like Lady Wisdom, says, follow me. Come to me. I wish this was Communion Sunday because I say, he'd say, come to my banquet. Come to my table. Because I have wisdom for you if you're only ready to hear and receive. The Holy One is not hiding from us. He has invited us to build our life on him, on his wisdom, on his word. I want you to do three things today. Do this today or tomorrow morning at, at latest. Take stock. Take stock of your life. Think about what would an outside observer see if they looked at my life? Would they see wisdom? Would they see insight? How does an outside observer look at your words? Would they say you're a scoffer or a man of wisdom in how you respond to other people's words? Take stock of your life. I think a regular practice of self-examination is a part of, of the Christian life where we, we come before God and we, we even review our times, our week, our, our decisions before him. Not just what we'll do in the future, but taking stock of our life. The Holy Spirit can help you do that if you're willing to, to invite him to do so. The second thing I want you to do, evaluate the voices that you are hearing. Are they offering wisdom or folly? Are they loud, seductive, and know nothing? Or do they point you to the wisdom from above that is peaceful, pure, good, and right? What voices are you hearing? And are they speaking for lady wisdom or lady folly? Just because they're religious doesn't mean it's speaking for lady wisdom. Beware. And third, ask the Lord directly for wisdom. The book of James mentioned that. It says, you don't have wisdom because you don't ask. Right? Ask for it. God, said, God I, I want to live wisely. Would you help me? Just, Jesus, I want to follow what you have to say. I don't want to be led astray by stupid things. I don't want to ruin my life over idiotic things. So ask and see what God does. Let me pray. Father, on behalf of everyone here, I, we ask, Lord, help us lead wise lives. May your wisdom come into our mind. May, may we recognize folly for what it is. And may we see wisdom when it's, when it's there. And may we learn how to take it in and walk and live in it. We ask this by the power of your Holy Spirit and in the name of your Son. Amen.